this morning, our usual practice, as you know, in Calvary Chapel is to go verse to verse. We pick a book of the Bible and away we go. And we're going to do it a little different this morning. Um, I just wanted to um, spend some time talking about a couple of verses from Paul's message uh, to the Romans. Uh, apply them to our our recent story. So what you're going to do this morning is you're going to turn to, to Romans. You're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 to start off with. And uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, we just come before you this morning as your sons, your daughters, Lord, as as family in Christ. And Lord, um, it's not about us. It's not about me up here, Lord. It's about you. It's about glorifying you. It's about learning about you. It's about growing Lord, we just pray this morning for your hand to be upon each and every person here. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. Uh, Teach all of us something. Heavenly Father, your promise to us is that wherever two or more come together in your name, there you are in their midst. So, Lord, we know you're here. And, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you. We honor you. And we just ask that you just bless this time. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now, I can't speak for any of you, but personally, I, I never cease to be amazed at the number of times I can read through Scripture, come across a, a verse, I'll come across it over and over and over again over a number of years, spend time uh, even memorizing those verses. Uh, I can intellectually, and I'm sure you can, apply them to my life. Well, when it's all said and done, often if I'm really honest with myself, I find that a lot of them haven't really come to life. And I want you to get me wrong. God's word has always been an inspiration and a powerful truth in my life ever since I became a believer. But there's a difference between knowing the truth of God and living it. And that's what I want to kind of share this morning. There's a difference between believing in the power and the glory of God and living in it, it living in that power and that glory that comes by submitting to him as the Lord and the master of our lives. Now, as Christians, the Holy Spirit certainly confirms in our hearts, doesn't he, that God's word is the truth. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians, in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, that these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of of God. But again, knowing is not the same as experiencing. You and I can go to church, we can study God's Word, yet still not truly experience God in a real, living way in our lives. Our walk can be a little flat, it can be a little stale, it can be, you know what, I go to church on Sunday and then I go home from church on Sunday. That's not what God wants. So you know what? And I'm sure this has happened to you. One day, out of nowhere, God will start to stir things up. Perhaps he'll take a verse, uh, maybe one we've known for years, suddenly place it on our mind and on our heart, and it suddenly becomes like one of those songs 
I do this at work all the time. I get a song in my head. I walk out or to the reception desk, and next thing I know, I'm back. And I'm, I'm like, where did this song come from in my head? And it just goes over and over and over. And God will take a verse, and he'll place it on our mind, and he'll place it on our heart, and it suddenly becomes like one of those songs. And you just can't get it out of your head. But God's word isn't annoying like those songs tend to be. God's intention is to get your attention or my attention and show us something. Teach us something. What he wants is to take his word and bring it to life. Make it alive in us and in our lives. Because when that happens, our praise and our glory start to become real praise and real glory to him. They aren't just something we mouth, something we say. They aren't just, you know what, obligatory. I feel like I have to. I feel like I should. You know, there's been times in my life he's taken a couple of verses and said, you know what, I'm going to rebu- rebuke you with these. A couple of times he's showed me verses to encourage me. Certainly when we were away uh, pastoring, that happened a lot. Whatever his reason is, you know what, I, I really am starting to, to learn to appreciate his constant attention, his constant mindfulness, and his constant love because that's what it is. And this morning I want to share one of the, those verses that he's, he picked out for me. And he said, Ken, I need you to pay attention here. So because he picked it out to me and said I, he wanted me to pay attention, I'm sharing it with you, okay? And it's not a rebuke. I don't think so. Um, it was more for me as a gentle reminder. So I'm pitching it to you as a gentle reminder. And it's... It's a verse that we can take, and it magnifies God in our eyes. It certainly magnified him in my eyes. It's like, to me, it was him saying to me, wake up and look what I've been doing in your life, Ken. And sometimes we all need that. It's a verse that certainly is familiar to most of us, if not all of us. It's from Paul's letter to the Roman church. So you're in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not, be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Now, if you're an underliner, or a highlighter. I want you to mark two words here. And they're not probably the ones you wouldn't think of at first when you read this. The first word I want you to think of is offer. And the second word is then. Now, again, some of you may not have known that uh, we were in uh, as a Calvary Chapel in, in in uh, North Van, and we've returned now to serve uh, on the Sunshine Coast here uh, with Ed. Um, I am going to share more about that, but shortly before closing the doors of that North Van church, I felt that God was asking me about these two verses, as I said, asking me, you know what, Ken, do you get them yet? 
do you get them? That he was saying, okay, Ken, you've read them. You've, you've memorized them more or less. And you've taught them to others. Great. Good for you. Super. Little pat on the back. Way to go, Ken. But there's more. So he pulls up these two verses. He puts them in front of me and it says, um, take a look. What do you see? Do you see how they have come to life in your life? Do you see how I have come to life? I got to tell you, first time this is going on in my head, I'm thinking, what exactly are you talking about here? What do you mean? And I'll get to that. For now, it's enough to know that at no time did Susan or myself, were we just aware that God was up to something in our lives? How often is God up to something? You don't really know it until down the road and you, oh my goodness. As far as we were concerned, we were just trying to be obedient to God's call. It's the best we could. But then came along these verses near the end. Why? What was missing? You know what? I, I went over them and I'm, you know what? I'm pretty confident that I know what Paul meant when he, when he wrote these inspired words. I think you guys probably have a good idea. So I didn't think God was trying to teach me what I already knew. God generally wants to teach us what we don't know. Show us that what we don't see. God loves to take us deeper in his word. You know, when I teach these verses, I teach them as, you know, Paul sharing a revelation. One that he had come to experience personally in his life as he served the Lord faithfully. I see these words as something that Paul wanted every believer, you and I and every believer that reads these, these words, picks up their Bible. Paul wanted everybody to experience what he experienced. I think Paul wanted believers to understand the magnitude of God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. That's what I teach about these words who came into the world as this living sacrifice for you and I. Certainly a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. And that based solely on that mercy alone, Paul says in no uncertain terms that you and I should in turn offer ourselves as living sacrifices back to God. And I love it when he says, I appeal to you, or as some translations, I urge you. I love that because it comes across as this, and as I teach it, it's this plea from Paul to everybody who who reads them. It shows how important this idea of a living sacrifice was to Paul. Why was it so important? Well, because he found something there. And he wants every believer to find that same thing. If you take these words, look at the simple truth of this statement by Paul, we should understand that our servitude is really all we really have that's of any value to God whatsoever. The truth is, you and I have nothing that God needs. Nothing. But we have something he wants. Our loyalty 
our dependency, our obedience, our living sacrifice to be given to him to show our love and appreciation for his sacrifice for us. That's pretty simple stuff, really. That's the facts. That's Paul's message. And we have to be shown, uh, you can crack your Bible open, and there's lots of examples of that in our Bibles. Jesus, of course, being the example of that living sacrifice. So I read Paul's words here, and I know that because that to become a living sacrifice is to live in and for Jesus Christ in my daily life, and I know it's meant that for you, okay? I believe it with all my heart. I teach it, but believing it and teaching it aren't doing. Doing isn't so easy. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. Day in and day out, it's a struggle. Am I learning? Yeah, I am. I am. Sometimes it's one step ahead, two steps back, but I am learning. And I hope you guys are learning as well. And I hope we all understand that the more we allow Christ to transform us, the easier it becomes to live that example of a sacrificial life. Now, as I said, the facts are the facts. That's what I teach when I teach these these verses, when I'm teaching out of uh, Romans. But there was something beyond the facts that I think Paul had learned. There was more, uh, more than one reason, I think, that he was compelled to write and share this revelation with you and with me and with every other believer, okay? Something else beyond that surface truth that I just shared with you. And I believe that God was putting these words in front of me so that I would see something else. But what? You'd think that if you and I know what a verse means, then that's, you know, okay, I know what it means. That's it. But it's not. Any one of us can be a great scholar of the Bible. Any one of you could come up here um, and teach. You could. Any one of us could know the Bible. I mean, I meet people that know it. I struggle with it. I'm like, where did I read that? I have no idea. I meet people that are like, they're on it. They know their Bible inside and out, cover to cover, have a proficient understanding of what they read. But if God's word is not coming to life in your life or in my life, then we're missing out on something, something absolutely amazing, something absolutely wonderful. It's not a salvation issue, but it is a big deal. And it's the other thing that I think that Paul was trying to get across to the reader here. And what God has been trying to show me and, and my wife, and it's that thing that I want to share with you today. That it's not just about reading or knowing God's word. It's about starting to live it. You know, they don't call it the living Bible just because oh, somebody came up with the word. Paul wrote these words 
or when he wrote these words. It was about more than just conveying of a truth. That's a fact. It was. It was more, though, than about spiritual obligation. We can get drugged right down to the ground with spiritual obligation. It becomes so heavy. And it shouldn't be heavy. You know what? I think when Paul wrote these words, I think he was excited. I think he was just on top of the world, excited. You know, listen again. Just to those words when he says, I appeal to you. I urge you. But this time, instead of that emotionally uh, solemn or unemotional solemn plea to us, you know what, I, I beg you, fulfill your spiritual obligation. I mean, that's there. But think of Paul's words as being emotionally charged, full of excitement, an invitation. I think Paul had, had discovered something and he discovered that he wanted everybody to know and experience it personally. And it went far beyond an obligatory act of service. And how did he make the discovery? Well, he discovered it as he walked in obedience to the will of the Lord. He discovered it the same way the patriarchs in the Old Testament discovered it. It wasn't just read about it had to be lived, and it had to be experienced. It has to be lived in order to come alive. And guess what? It applies to you and applies to me. It comes from making that decision to become a living sacrifice to our Lord. So what, did, what exactly did Paul and others like him discover? as they were living sacrifices. Well, look back at chapter 11. You go back to chapter 11 and verse 33. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. If you and I are wrapped up in our own stuff, walking outside of God's will for our lives and seeking our own way, how can we possibly experience his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge in a way that will excite us the way Paul was excited. You can't. Paul became a living sacrifice and his experience and knowledge of God exploded in his life. And it, it got him excited because he loved who he saw. He saw God come to life on that road to Damascus, but, but that was just the beginning. It was his ministry of sacrifice that opened his eyes to God, and he wanted everyone else to experience the same kind of spiritual excitement for the things of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the knowledge of God. He's excited. I found something. I know my Lord so well. I want you to have it. You know what all the great servants of God ever did was fully accept the role of living sacrifice. That's all they really ever did. And God did the rest. Okay, Lord, you're going to send me here. I can't speak, Lord. I have, I have no words to say. Yeah, never mind. I don't care. I'll, I'll give you the words. All I need is a living sacrifice. 
Paul just wants us to see that there is something amazing for all of us in that offer. First, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And here's the word, then. And you've marked that word, when we do, something begins to happen. Paul says we become less and less conformed to this world and more and more conformed to the ways of the Lord. And then when that happens, Paul says, then, and I like the NIV translation here, you and I will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. When Paul or Saul was on his way to Damascus, the first thing that was revealed to him, God's mercy in Jesus. Then through the knowledge of God, or pardon me, then through um, his, uh, his sacrifice, he began to see and experience, what, what does he talk about? The riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God in a profound and personal way. And it changed his life. What he found as a living sacrifice, trials and all, far surpassed anything he had walked away from. And you know what? He probably had more than anybody in this room has to this day, probably ever has had. He had the position. He had the power. Probably had the finances. He saw and experienced God in a way he had never seen or experienced him before in his entire life. He stepped out of obligation and religion and into God's will. And, be, and, and when you do that, you begin to know the real God of the Bible. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul says that God is the God of all comfort. In 1 Corinthians, he says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And in Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses speaks uh, to, we're told, to all the ears of this, the assembly of Israel. And he says, God is a God of faithfulness, faithfulness, just and upright. And then chapter 33 of Deuteronomy goes on to say that God loves his people and all his holy ones are in his hands. And the beloved of the Lord dwell in safety. When Paul stepped into the will of God for his life, he stepped away from that God of judgment and wrath because he's there. And he stepped into a whole new world of possibilities. He gained a true firsthand knowledge of who his heavenly father really was. His eyes were opened and allowed, he was allowed to see how the Lord worked all his wonderful characteristics into Paul's life. It's like an umbrella. You know, I was thinking of it like an umbrella. When it's miserable outside, we used to have these huge golf umbrellas. and um, If we didn't have two, sometimes Susan and I would curl up under one and off we'd go to walk the dog in this horrible weather, pouring down rain. But you know what? The closer we were to the center the more protected we were from the ravages that were going on around us. And the more our eyes were cleared, we could see what was going on around us. 
God is like the center of that umbrella. Now, how does all this apply to me? How does it apply to Susan and I? Well, you know what? It's not that either of us have in any way ever felt um, like we had these great sacrificial lives for Christ as we went off to North Van. Um, On the contrary, um, more often than not, we felt that we were constantly falling short in our service, falling short for the Lord. We were falling short to the people. We couldn't be there full time. We couldn't be there on a daily basis to sit down with people and talk to them. Uh, we were so far out of our own, uh, beyond our own understanding and beyond our own abilities. It was ridiculous. I think about the first day we were on our own. We didn't even have, we had to put everything in a, in a hutch. And we didn't even know how. I had to take a picture with my phone so I could figure it out. Thankfully, there often was somebody else there who did know how to put all the speakers and everything away. But God says in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. God's strength is manifest in our weakness. And boy, oh boy. The truth is, when we first arrived in North Vancouver, um, we thought we knew exactly what was what. We had it figured. First thing on our agenda, you know what? House has got to go. Put it up for sale. It's got you got to move. And we prayed in confidence daily. Our real estate agents, every real estate agent that came through the house said, yeah, you know what? This house is going to go. It's in the right neighborhood and it's been renovated and it's the right price. And it's, and even at one time there was nothing else left. He came and said, your house is going to go now because there really isn't anything Right now, in your price range, in this area, it's going. So we were praying in confidence, it's going to sell. No. And the Lord made it clear to us, it wasn't ever going to sell. He just said, no. I prayed one day. It was a pretty clear answer. I had to run to Ed and a few others. I think I probably told Matt... Like, is this God speaking to me? Because it seemed to be exactly what I was asking for. And they were, yeah, I think so. So you can imagine how this went over. We spent a lot of time in a state of confusion and frustration, questioned whether or not we were even in God's will. Are we even supposed to be doing this? Are we even supposed to be here? But you know what? We just battled on, served to the best of our abilities, Now, on top of that, just to keep it interesting, the Lord loves to keep things interesting. If you ever think my life is really boring, I got news for you. I got a job for you. The Lord opened the door for me to move my business to Vancouver. Gave my wife a job full-time, in, not, pardon me, from Vancouver to Gibson's. Gave my wife a, a full-time job here uh, on the coast. And if you're a sensible person, and I consider myself to be a sensible person, you think it would be best if, okay, to live and to work and to serve in generally the same area. They, they go together. But that wasn't what was happening. So again, we were a little confused and a little frustrated. What in the world are you thinking, Lord? 
Are you even paying attention, Lord? But you know what? We just continued to serve, learning to be content with what we were given. And if it sounds a little confusing, try living it. Why God was doing what he was doing was beyond our understanding. And I'm sure there were people around us that questioned our circumstances and our sanity as well. I know I did. I know Susan did at times. Thankfully, we didn't concern ourselves too much with what others might be thinking. Um, We eventually came to a place where we finally just let it go. You got to just let it go. We stopped trying to lean on our own understanding and put our trust in him. And here's, here's a surprise. When you finally go, let go and you let God, that's when the peace of God starts to take over. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. All we were seeing was crooked paths for a while. But you know what? By now, our, our prayers start to, started to change. It started to go from, you know what? Our will was getting pushed aside. And we were starting to go to God and say, okay, your will. We, we started to believe and trust that, you know what? If the Lord wanted something, if he wants the house to be sold, you know what? He's going to sell it. doesn't matter if I put a, a sign on the front, front lawn. If he wants it gone, it'll be gone. If he wants us commuting, commuting we will go. And we trusted that we'd find strength in him through all of it. And I'd like to sit here and say that it was at that point, you know what? Our confusion and our frustration melted away and it was all good. But that would be too easy because that's only part of the equation. That was our stuff. There was still the church. We had our plans for the church. We knew what, what we wanted. We knew what had it figured. I, I'm pretty sure I know what God wants to do here. And we'd be so excited. It's so exciting to a pastor and and when, when new people come in and, and sit down in your church and you think, ooh, this is, this is so nice. And especially for the tiny little church and any addition you think is uh, it's just a gift from God. And you think God wants this church to flourish and just grow and we get so excited, but it didn't happen. Some people stayed, but the majority, you know what, would be called to serve somewhere else. And there we were, back in this state of confusion, back in this state of frustration. I mean, for me, I'd be asking the Lord, okay, Lord, let me get this straight. You want us to serve in North Van, but we can't live there. We can't work there. You keep calling people out of the church to serve somewhere else. This is a really good plan. This is awesome. It's not what I would write down for my goals in life. There was always a lot of prayer around it. Often I was asking God, why? But not a lot of clear answers. So we faithfully continued, try to serve, like Paul, learn to be content in every situation. Uh, We learned, we leaned a, a lot on God's promises, but don't you think that's what he'd want? 
You know, if he builds the church, he says the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. Okay. He promises, you know what, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. All right. And you know what, that last promise came to be proven more true than I could ever, ever imagine. Because there were times I thought he didn't forsake us. I really did. Through all of it, through all of it, though we didn't necessarily see it at the time, God was busy being God. The God who is there, the God who is love and peace and faithful and gentle and so many other things, it was all, he was busy being all of those things. What we didn't recognize at the time is that we were being uh, schooled by the Lord. We were slowly being molded and changed and strengthened. We were learning to lean on him. We were learning to find strength in him and in his word. I found strength in, in, in places like Nehemiah. And I won't go into it, but there were just places he would take me, people that would come into my life and say, here's something that'll, that'll help you. Uh, Ezekiel. I found strength in Ezekiel. God challenges Ezekiel. Speak my words to them whether they listen or fail to listen. Boy, that's a great, great verse. A command to serve. That's all that is. It's a command to serve. But not according to the number of the listeners doesn't say, speak my words to them, Ezekiel, unless it, your numbers are really cut down, and then never mind, it's not worth it. Didn't say, you know what, only speak to the, those who are really going to decide to serve me. No. It's just go and do as I'm telling you to do. Along our journey in North Van, God didn't give us what we wanted. I'll tell you right now, God isn't going to always give you what you want. But I'll tell you, he will always give you what you need, whether you know it or not. Sometimes what we needed, we only needed for a short time. Sometimes what we needed, we needed for a longer time. He didn't fill the church with numbers. He filled the church with faithful we were chatting about that earlier. You have no idea what the faithful mean to a pastor. They mean everything. Those that show up every Sunday. Those that don't cause grief. Those who are there to, to hold him up, to support him. I've never been a pastor before this, but I certainly came back with a new respect. The weight, the pressure is never, ever, ever off of them ever things can be going so well and wonderful in the church but they carry this load we learned that it was never about numbers for God it was about depth something that hadn't occurred to me hadn't occurred to Susan 
We all have this habit of looking at numbers. First thing you do, you walk into a church. How many people are here? Oh, there's seven. Can't be a very good pastor. Can't be much good going on here. It's just what we do. We all have a habit of looking at numbers. God looks for hearts, hearts that are committed to him. We in North Van were given this opportunity to learn more about God and who he really is, just like Paul did. And that was the point. We learned about our Heavenly Father's true character, not just, about, not just by reading about it, but seeing it displayed in our lives and in this little church. And I'm, I know you see it here. We were, we were, um, we'd been praying hard for numbers. We wanted to be the talk of the community, don't you? As a church, you want to be the talk of the community. God's working in that place. But instead of adding, God worked deeper with less. And in the end, gave us something greater than a church full of people. He gave us himself. A chance to know him better and to know ourselves better. And I think that's what Paul discovered as he served. And it's what excited him. Because it should be exciting. It should be exciting to all of us. And I think he wanted the same thing uh, to excite Susan and I at the time, but it took a little bit of time. The Lord put these verses on my heart to show Susan and I what we had come away with after three years of service. And the irony of it all, until he put these verses on my heart and asked me to look at them, I had no idea I was even being a living sacrifice. I know that sounds strange, but I didn't think about that. I don't think Susan thought about that. And that's the beauty of this offer. If you're sincere when you accept it, God will take care of everything else. He'll handle all the details. doesn't matter if it's a living sacrifice right here in your community or in the deepest forests of Africa. God will get us where we need to be and take care of us while we're there. But it's important to remember a living sacrifice doesn't get to make any of the decisions. God tells you, now, this is what I'm doing with you. If we go off and do what we want to do, that's not a sacrifice. That's my taking charge. Chances are, when, when things do, when we accept that offer and we become a living sacrifice, it's going to happen at a time and in a way we aren't even thinking about being a living sacrifice. It's not even occurring to us. We're just doing it. Because we love the Lord. Because we just want to do what we're told. All any of us needs to do is just offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice and wait in faith for him to act. And he will. And there's that word, offer. Just offer. Lord, I'd like to be your living sacrifice. doesn't say we have to do anything else but offer. 
And I think we a lot of times live in fear that, oh, the minute I offer, it's going to be, and I don't want to offend anybody, like this Nazi god that's going to come along and take me and throw me on the train, and if we go to the vet camp, and you're going to work, work, work for me. It's not. He doesn't put us anywhere that it's just not going to be wonderful. I'm German, by the way. I'm okay to do that. I have to admit, you know what, I, it wasn't until near the end of our service that we saw how foolish we were. So often after, it's afterwards, and I think that's part of God's reason to throw these in my face. You know, Ken, you're, you're a bit of an idiot, and I just kind of want to show you what I've been doing in your life and how I've been there and how I've been looking after you and all your complaining and whinging about uh, where are the people and how am I going to do music on Sunday. And we even had people coming from here to help. God looked after it all. Susan and I didn't have a chance to think more of ourselves than than we should. We didn't. We never for even one moment thought we were uh, these great examples of this unwavering faith. I thought we were actually living sacrifices, as I said. Most of what we did in North Van, you know what? It's by the seat of our pants and the grace of God. Prayer, 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 and more prayer. We felt, you know what? We're so over our heads here. had no idea what God's plans were because ours weren't working out. I just still don't know what God's plans are. I know them up to today, but that's it. Somewhere along the way, we came to an understanding that we were on a Sunday-to-Sunday, need-to-know basis with God, and we assumed, you know what, that's the way it's always going to be. And then something happened, and I think this is the exciting part. I was on my way home from work, and I think it was a Tuesday. And a sense of peace came over me, and I felt that the Lord spoke to me briefly, just very quickly, very quietly. And what he said was what really brought this, this verse to life for me. It was, it was a dash of cold water, and at the same time, just such a, just a wonderful moment. It was one of those, oh, moments. And I'm sure we've all had them, where someone lets you in on a, on a secret or shares some bit of information with you, and it turns out you've misjudged a situation or someone all along, and you feel like a complete moron. And that was me. I'm like, oh. In a nutshell, what the Lord did was explain himself, what his plans had always been, made it clear why things had been the way they were for over three three years. And when I got home, I told Susan what, what it conveyed to me, and we chatted about it. That his plan was for us to come back to the Sunshine Coast all along. And that's why he wouldn't sell our home. How loving is that? No, your home will not sell. And then to say that's why I didn't sell it, Ken. I'm sure people thought, why don't they just, you know, Reduce the price to bottom of the barrel and just give it away and just go. Trust in the Lord. Well, because trusting in the Lord, the Lord said no. He said, that's why I brought you to work over here, Ken. That's why I gave your wife a job over here, Ken. That's why I didn't fill the church the way you wanted to, Ken. It's harder to walk away from a huge group of people than it is a few um, faithful 
He just laid it out so plainly. And suddenly we were both, we just both saw how mindful and loving God had really been all along. How foolish do you feel? And he had never been against us. He'd always been fighting for us. He just couldn't have told us what his plans were because we'd have never learned what we needed to learn if we'd have known the plan. Our schooling would have suffered. We needed to learn things like how to trust God in the things we didn't know. It's easy to trust God in the things you do know. Trust and and faith comes in what I don't know. True faith is about serving God when nothing around you is making sense. Trusting that God will make sense of it. Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. To Susan and I, North Fan was this lifetime commitment because that's how you, that's how you have to look at it. If we'd have known God's plan it was just for a season, I probably would have given up on the first sign of difficulty because really it was going to end any, anyway. What's the point? If I'd have known God's plan, would I maybe have given a little less of myself? You know, we tend all to, when we know what the future holds, we tend to focus on the future. It's like when you're going on holiday, it's really hard to work for that last week because you're so focused on looking ahead. I have no idea what that was. (laughs) It's all new to me. When we know the future, we start to looking for shortcuts. We start manipulating the journey to, to, to suit ourselves instead of relying solely on God. We can even start to close doors at the first sign of difficulty, doors that God may not want to close. He might want them left open. Start to put in, you know what, I'm going to add my timeline. Never mind what God's timeline is. If God wants to close the door, that's different. Because you know what? When he does it, it's the right way and for the right reason. And he's there to take care of every detail and every person involved. And do you know that he did that? People that were in need found jobs. It it was like, oh my gosh. The Lord came to life. And he was active and living. and, And it was amazing. And I was never a a non-believer. But it was just a different different stage. When we start to do what we want to do, I'm going to close the door when I want to close it, things can get messy. Things can get costly. So now when I look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know what? I see something different. I'm trying to get you to see something different. I see an excited Paul. I see why he wanted others, what what he wanted others to see. I see that he wanted people to get a deeper experience of God the way he had. A few months ago, I didn't honestly even think these verses applied to Susan and I. Not really. Living sacrifices? Us? I thought they applied to men more like Paul. I know that sounds foolish, but that's kind of how I thought. Now I look back and see that God's gentleness, faithfulness, love, concern, protection, tenderness, it's always been there. It's right there. 
And it was there the moment we stepped into being living sacrifices. Do we feel foolish? Yeah, looking back, I do. But I also feel very blessed, very humbled. I feel like God had to bring up these verses to say, look, dummy, again, look what I've been doing for you. Look who I am. So even though we're back over here, you know what? We're, we're jacked. We're excited. I'm, I'm excited. I know the Lord just a little bit better. I get this little glimpse. I'm not saying I'm a Paul, but I get this, just this deeper glimpse of this grandeur of, the, of God and just how great he is at looking after us when we're walking in his will. There's, I just know him more intimately. So does Susan which is what he wanted to do in the first place. What he wants you to do. What he wants you to experience. Paul wants you to be excited. God wants you to be excited. Make an offer of being a living sacrifice. And then find out what you find there. You find God right in the middle of it. There's much more to a living sacrifice than mere obligation or sense of duty. That when any of us truly submits to God's will and surrenders to being living sacrifices, a relationship is built. We start to see things differently, know Him better, we begin to hear His voice more because we listen for it more. And we learn to simply wait. Just wait for his counsel until he's ready to give it. And that's probably the hardest thing of all. Paul writes that as living sacrifices, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? Isn't that what we all want? To know his will for our lives. Susan and I both look back and right now and we just marvel at what God did for us over three years. We're amazed how God orchestrated things, how gentle he was, how compassionate he was, how understanding he was, even through our blindness and our mistrust at times. I can't imagine uh, what would have happened if we'd have just, if he hadn't have been intervening in things, we'd have just gone and done what we wanted to do. No, you know what? This is how we're doing it. I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So do you. But that doesn't mean we aren't capable of getting ourselves in some pretty bad situations, digging ourselves some pretty big holes through our bad decisions. One of my favorite, favorite verses, and I'm almost finished, is Psalm 27:14, which says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. I believe the Lord answers all our prayers as believers. Right when you ask them. Right when you ask them. And I even understand that, that sometimes those prayers are going to get an answer of no or not now. But you know what? It never occurred to me that the Lord would wait three years and then say, now I'm going to tell you what I've been doing and what's been going on. And that they, those plans would be completely different than anything I ever imagined. What a journey. 
But you know what? When you think about it, that's exactly where faith becomes strongest. When we really know God, you want strong faith, know God. Get into his will. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You're going to know God. And when you know God, your faith is going to rock the world. Because you know and trust in his wisdom and his love because he's real and he's alive. Faith becomes complete when we take the knowledge of who God really is, how much he loves us, and trust him to act according to who he truly is. He isn't going to act any other way. No matter how long it takes, faith becomes his will be done. It's about his way, his timing, and not ours. Or it, or it isn't faith at all. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Lord has taken time to teach, to try to teach all these things to myself and to Susan over the last few years. Um, I'd like to be able to stand or sit here and say I will never have an issue with trust and anxiety again. It's all over for me. But I know that's not the case. Uh, I'm closer than I was three years ago. So in the end, I can say that my view of what it looks like to offer my body as a, as a living sacrifice, what it, what it means, it's changed. It's a lot simpler than I ever gave it credit for. It's just an offer. Heartfelt offer. It's just about serving with the knowledge and contentment that God's going to handle the future. Today, I just serve. Tomorrow, it's going to be just like today. So as you go off to enjoy the rest of your day today, think about how excited Paul was. Think about offering your body as a living sacrifice to be holy and pleasing to God as your spiritual act of worship. Know that in God's will, in time, you will always know God's will. And you will see the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God that isn't found anywhere else. And that's exciting. We should be excited. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, we just come before you today. We hear your word. We, we, uh, we all need to step up and make that offer as a living sacrifice to you, Lord. Yes, it is an obligation, Lord, but there's something there. You're there. Everything about you, knowing you more, having that hand of protection and love over our lives, Lord, when we stand in your will. They say that sin is everything that's outside of God's will. Heavenly Father, help us to stand in your will. Help us to um, hear your voice. Lord, help us to have courage, each and every one of us, to just make the offer and wait for you to decide the destination. Lord, we just praise you this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. Heavenly Father, um, you are the master of our lives. Help us to humble ourselves to that. Help us to truly believe that. And Lord, as we go our separate ways, we just ask that you would have your 
a mighty hand upon us. You would lead us in, in, uh, in the things of righteousness, Lord, and keep our eyes away from the things of, of the world and sin. Heavenly Father, bless our day today and, and the rest of this week. And the congregation said, Amen.